Before we get to this week's episode, there were two things that I wanted to mention to you. The first is, don't forget that you can rate and review, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, send us nice messages. You could email whymeproject@outlook.com as uh, Ann Michaels did. She says, uh, Holly and Johnny, each week it's something different and new, and I always learn And you are my Wednesday drive to work companion. And thank you for that. Thank you for the encouragement. Send the messages. Love to hear from you. As for this week's episode, it's a difficult topic. Now, I don't necessarily think that a warning is needed, but just wanted you to be aware that we do talk about abuse and there are different forms of abuse. So if you know someone or that someone is you, we're encouraging you to please seek help. Let's get help and uh, talk to someone that uh, you could trust. The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. You know, Holly, we bring up a lot of difficult topics, and I feel as though this week is maybe one of those topics, too, that, hey, we don't necessarily talk about it a lot, but it needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, just to not break tradition, episode number... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 218 no it's it's 19 oh i, I bet you carly would have known because uh <sighs> she's she's listened to our podcast before but uh uh carly <laughs> cleveland how are you i'm good how are you doing not too bad not too bad i'm excited to be here i'm so excited today we like to ask the skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go carly who are you and where did you come from I am Carly Cleveland, and I am the executive director and founder of the Real Truth Ministries nonprofit organization, and we provide sexual assault care trainings and other proactive sexual assault awareness and kind of prevention trainings to churches, pastors, other organizations, and I'm a 78C3 certified in Utah, which means I meet the requirements in Utah for the Confidential Communications Act as a sexual assault counselor. And I'm a wife to an awesome, wonderful husband and a dog mom and a Jesus follower and sometimes a blogger. (laughs) I love it. It's quite the list. (laughs) Somebody doesn't get to that point where you have all these qualifications and you found an incredible organization without a little bit of a story. So where did your story begin? How was life growing up for you? I grew up in the church pretty much since birth. And kind of switched in and out of different denominations, but my parents have always been Jesus followers. And I'm a survivor of sexual abuse myself. And when I came forward to the Christian organization I was a part of at the time about what happened, they handled it in a way that was really harsh and hurtful and harmful. Mm -hmm. That kind of started when I was 16 years old and I was forming a relationship with a guy my age and we were both good church kids, quote unquote, and both kind of involved in different things in our congregations and our youth groups. And we started dating, but... If you know you're a really good church kid, you don't call it dating. You just courting, right? Or we're just friends. Exactly. (laughs) Like a weird, unofficial (laughs) Christian relationship. Yes. But we didn't call that. And it was a really big purity culture time and space. So people in high school and our youth groups didn't really date. Um, They did that weird, unofficial relationship thing. And when it started out, it was super normal, very healthy, as healthy as a 16 year old relationship can be. We know how that goes. And it seemed like we had very similar values, similar conservative boundaries, and a little bit less than a year into the relationship, it started to get a lot more unhealthy. There were a lot of really big red flags in that relationship, but I personally, even within purity culture, didn't really learn about healthy dating habits. I didn't really learn about 
red flags and things to look out for. And maybe these things are indicators of something else. And also as a 16 year old, and maybe you guys can relate, I was super insecure. So it was kind of like willing to look past a lot of things to be liked and to be loved. And um, I didn't really know how to navigate that in a super healthy way. And so there were a lot of behaviors that were off and um, I was just ready to do anything to keep someone's affection and attention. And I think a lot of teenagers struggle with that. And I've seen that more and more in the work that I do. Um, And so when I was 17, that's when the sexual abuse started with this person. And it went on for a while and it was pretty much the same cycle. You hear about cycles of abuse. It was the abuse would happen and then there would be apologies and promises to never do it again. You would reset boundaries. And then for me, I was, I was thinking, well, this person is so sorry and I can help them and we can, you know, we can change this together. And then, you know, promises would be made and then broken and the abuse would happen again. And so there was some people that knew different parts of that story. Like some of my super close friends knew a little bit about what was happening, but for the most part, it was just him and I that knew what had happened. And so eventually I had to come forward and tell some different leaders in that Christian organization about it. And the abuser denied everything. And so it was a really difficult time um, going through that. And then also just the way that the church responded, they kind of wanted me to get out and they thought that that would solve the problem. If you just leave, then this is going to go away. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, as you can imagine, really harsh, painful, and it was pretty devastating, not just to my life, but also to how I viewed the church and how I viewed God and those different things. And So I could see that no one intended to be harmful, like in leadership, the people that were handling that situation, they didn't mean to be harsh and hurtful. They really were trying to do what they thought was right, but they just didn't know how to biblically and properly care for someone who had been sexually abused. I left that community and I was able to intern at a really amazing church and I was interning for their global outreach team. And that was such a good healing experience for me and really brought me like back into the church in a way, kind of reintroduced me to the God of the Bible and also just who Jesus is and being able to work on a global team with people from all around the world, teaching you about God and Jesus and seeing their perspective, not just an American perspective and the American church. It was, it was such a good healing experience for me. And I got healed in a lot of ways from that, which is kind of what compelled me to think, how can I get involved in ministry? And I really want to do something to help people who have been through something similar, wanted to approach that in a proactive way. So how can I help from both ends? Like the people who are being abused or have been abused, how can they be cared for? But also how can we proactively try to prevent sexual abuse? And that's kind of what led me to where I am today. We live in a culture sometimes where uh, the the obvious answer might be there, but we could miss that obvious answer. And you and you kept saying there were red flags. There were red flags for someone who might have never been in that situation, or like me. I, what would a red flag be for somebody who's like, oh, maybe this is a relationship that I'm in, but this is normal. This seems to be what everybody goes through, isn't it? I think that's especially hard for teenagers to navigate because a lot of teenagers just have unhealthy relationships. A lot of that would be maybe isolating you from your friends and family, maybe the way that they talk to you, or maybe like certain requests that they're asking you to do or like pushing your boundaries kind of little by little, peeling back those things and trying to get you to do things that you're uncomfortable with. There's a lot of teenage relationships I see that are very codependent. So people who can't really live as individuals, they can't really live without each other and they're dependent on each other. Or maybe that looks like 
one person does everything for the other and they need each other in an unhealthy way. That way, there's a lot of different ways that can play out. I'm glad you talked about the purity culture as we're seeing a lot more uh, women, especially who grew up during that time, uh, myself included. And, you know, those books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye and so much of the purity culture, I feel, place the pressure on the girl and not necessarily the men or teaching them their role in purity. So for you growing up in that culture, what were some of those things that you wish that they would have taught you when you were entering the dating phase? Obviously, like I said, boundaries and different like actual aspects of a practical relationship, but also a lot of the purity culture that we learned or that I learned at least was really harmful to survivors of sexual abuse. So it kind of says, you've heard the analogy like, Maybe you're a rose and you get passed around every time you date someone new. And then who wants yes. a sprinkled up old rose or I've heard that yes. um, or a present. And so that's how I felt. I felt like I'm used and it almost put this pressure on me. Like I have to make this relationship work because no one will ever want me again. Like, how could I, how could I get married? If, if I'm this used piece of gum, why would anyone want me in that situation? Which is, oh. I even remember I taught that analogy at Bible camp before this whole situation happened. I was a counselor and I think back to those days, like, man, I was so naive and was teaching this perpetuation of just not biblical truth and also just such harm to young people and potentially survivors of sexual abuse. And so that was a big one for me. That was really difficult to work through going through that. Did you think then that ministry was going to kind of be the next thing for your life? Was it going to be dealing with these types of things? Or as you're growing up, you're like, no, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a chiropractor. (laughs) (laughs) Not a chiropractor or a doctor. That's definitely not for me. But going into the Christian organization I was in, it was a place of education. And it was kind of the thing that you did because everyone else did it. Like, all of my friends in youth group went there and then leaving that situation on the other side, I really wasn't sure. It shook me so much and shook my faith, not necessarily what I thought of God or who he was. It was just, do I want to be a part of uh, the part of the church that hurts people in this way, like hurts hurting people. And so there was a lot of rebuilding and um, I was blessed to be around a lot of healthy people in the church who handled conflict in a really healthy way within the church and who really kind of reformed what I thought about being in ministry. And that's what kind of led me back in. And also just, I really was just compelled to try to do whatever I could to make sure what happened to me didn't happen to other people. You talk about rebuilding, um, but right now there seems to be a lovely trend called deconstruction of your faith. Was there an element of your journey that included that element to, to heal? For sure. There was times where I was sitting in church and I was like, do I even believe this? And again, it wasn't really for me about who Jesus was. I still really loved Jesus, but it was like, there's a disconnect here between Jesus and the people who say that they're following Jesus. And it seems like these things are not cohesive at all. So what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for other people who've gone through this? And how can we make this a place where hurting people can be cared for and loved for with the hurting arms of, or with the loving arms of Jesus? Mm -hmm. Did you find that you had support during this season as well when you're asking those questions or was it, no, we don't question God? No, I was definitely in a community that was very open to questions, which was really helpful for me. And I felt like 
personally asking questions and kind of doing that quote unquote deconstruction thing. I wouldn't have known to call it that then, but I guess that's kind of what I was doing. <laughs> now it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, now it's super trendy. But um, but I encourage a lot of people to do that because for me, it was actually very restoring to my faith and actually built my faith up more. Being able to ask questions and having the freedom to ask questions about God and God not being offended that I was asking questions or was curious or wanted to see um, more and dig into different issues. You come forward with this and the church tries to sweep it under the rug and essentially says, well, maybe you should just find a different church. Uh, you do have some friends. What about uh, family support? What was the reaction to that? Because I'm pretty sure that if my kids were to come up to me and say, this is what happened, uh, I, you and I might not be having this conversation because I'd be <laughs> locked in a four by four cell. <laughs> I'd be visiting you at jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, luckily, I there were some people within the church that were very helpful. Um, a lot of not a lot, but there was quite a few people, quite a few of my friends who really cared about the truth, who really cared about me in that situation, who I'm so thankful for, that were very comforting and also willing to kind of stand up for me in certain situations, which I'm so appreciative of. And then my family was was really hurt by it. Um, mm. I had one family member who kind of left the church because of this, because of the same thing, not really questioning God, but questioning people. Like, if this is what happens to hurting people, I don't think this is a place for me. But there's also other people in my family who have kind of gone through the same process as I have and realized these people really wanted to do the right thing, but they didn't have the proper resources in education. And so it was, we kind of felt a responsibility, like this is our job to stay in this church, to stay in the body of Christ and to do what we can to help fix this so that the body of Christ does become a more welcoming and um, safe place for hurting people. All right. I have a pretty big question to ask because there's that huge culture, the purity culture. There was even now conversations about abuse happening in the evangelical churches and the Catholic church. And it just seems like if you were of faith, you were behind the eighth ball in learning about these sorts of situations about, you know, purity, not being, you know, your physicality, but your spirituality. So why do you think the church was so far behind and not being able to support hurting people when that's what the church is called to do? Yeah. When I look back at the purity culture movement and I look back at Joshua Harris and a lot of these other books that are so famous now, infamous, I guess we would say. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, I think that we, we did this thing where we stopped looking at the Bible and we started looking at like, this guy has so many great things to say and he has great ideas and he can kind of be like our front person to reach out to young people and his ideas are relevant and all of this. And we started putting our emphasis on people and they had these great ideas that we thought were awesome, but we really stopped looking at the Bible. And also I think sometimes within the church, there's kind of a push to be countercultural no matter what, even if the culture is saying like, hey, maybe we should talk about this thing that's really important. The church kind of wants to run away from that because we don't want to be like the world and we don't want to be like the culture, which is a great thing to aspire for if you're doing it in a biblical way. You mentioned uh, the the launch of uh, Real Truth Ministries, nonprofit organization. What was the the heart behind it? I know that you briefly touched on it, but the heart behind that, and then let's move forward as to what's kind of going on now. So like I said, my personal experience with ab abuse had been really devastating. And that's what compelled me to start uh, training for churches and leaders and people within the body of Christ to care for the hurting and broken in a biblical way and with education and facts and just really good information to have. 
And so I actually decided to get that certification I talked about. Um, I took a sexual abuse crisis advocacy class and I realized that that information that I learned is absolutely necessary for pastors, for parents, for different people within the church, different people within ministry. And so I kind of looked at the numbers and looked at the stats and the Department of Justice reports that every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted and every nine minutes, that's a child. And it's estimated that one in three people, men and women, will experience some kind of contact sexual violence within their lifetime. And those numbers translate into church pews. They translate into our children's ministry. They translate into our women's and men's ministry. And so I just wanted to make a training like that, but for people within the church that was biblical and fact-based and to educate and empower churches and leaders to advocate for victims and also care for them as Jesus would. You, you talk about the training, the uh, certifications. What was the training? How long was it? So it was a 40-hour training. We did it for a week. And I was in the class with some police officers and different people who worked within the city. And it was specifically for um, advocacy and for sexual abuse crisis. And also for um, just to get a certification to say, like, you can tell me something and they're not going to tell other people. So that's why different police officers and people working for the city were taking that. And it was really informative and in-depth. There was different officers that came to talk, lawyers, um, the DA. So it was a lot of really great information and a lot of people who kind of work within that justice system. And also um, like a sexual assault nurse came, a lot of different people who gave their their perspective. That was so helpful. Having this kind of information now um, to move ahead into this next chapter of your life, uh, what do you want to be your legacy. I mean, obviously you just were able to take a bad situation and, and use it to glorify God and to help other people, which is incredible. So what is continuing to propel you forward? Yeah. So really just that initial drive that I have just to make sure that this doesn't happen to other people, just to do whatever I can to make sure that other people aren't hurt by the church further after they've been abused. And also just to help the gospel move forward because I think sometimes the gospel can be so hindered by the actions of the church and not to say that the gospel isn't powerful enough to reach people despite what people can do. It absolutely is. And God is absolutely bigger than that, but it really, really helps when the church is safe and when the church has education and information to help people like that. So looking forward, I would love to just keep doing what I'm doing and keep training the church and hopefully um, just sharing the gospel through that and, with people personally. Two things that were put on my heart when you were talking about uh, consent and kind of things that uh, you've had to go through that you've experienced through through others. And the one is uh, uh, teaching our children. Uh, how can we, or what is the best way for us to teach our children about consent? That's a great question. So we have this, we have a, a lot of different trainings about consent, but one specifically for younger children. And the basis of that is really teaching them it's not okay for other people to touch me, but also it's not okay for me to touch other people in these ways when they don't want to be. And mm. so we have a lot of different resources for that, but I think those are the two big indicators and also being safe for your children to talk to. I had great, I still have wonderful, amazing parents, but I felt really uncomfortable talking to them about these things. Like I wouldn't have gone and said, Hey mom and dad, are these red flags in a relationship? So being safe and open with your kids to talk about those things and I think a lot of people withdraw from that because it feels uncomfortable. They don't want to have the sex talk. They don't want to have a consent talk because it's kind of awkward, but it's so important and so necessary. And it's worth, you know, an hour of awkward conversation or even 15 minutes if you have a younger child, because you get to decide 
what is my child ready for? How much can I talk to them about? You know, you know their levels of responsibility and their different levels of what they're ready to hear. And so you're the best person to talk to your children about it. And a bit of a follow-up to that, because Holly and I in the past have had a, a lot of great conversations with people. And uh, the other part would be, and it's an uncomfortable topic, but that is a uh, child grooming. And uh, what about the, uh, is there ways that we can teach our kids about maybe what to be watching out for with regards to that? Definitely. That's another thing that we have is a um, kind of an internet based training, not based, but internet focused training for parents about grooming, because that's the number one place that your children are most likely to be groomed. And so being, getting the information, like what are the ways that people are going to try to reach my children? What is my child most influenced by? And also like kind of where are their insecurities? I was listening to someone talk about TikTok and how that has really influenced children because there's a lot of kids who really don't get affirmation from home and they want to be praised. And there's someone on the internet who's saying, you're so great at singing and dancing. And I really appreciate that about you. And they open up to them because of that. And then the grooming process begins. So knowing your kids, knowing what they're influenced by, their insecurities. And then also, again, just being willing to have that conversation. A lot of people never, ever talk to their kids about it. They think that their kids know stranger danger and they say, my kid's smart enough. They would never do that. And it's not a matter of being smart or not. They're, no. they're children. And these people who are grooming children know exactly what they're doing and they're very good at it. So it's not a matter of your child being dumb or smart. It's just protecting them in those ways. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you say that because um, it's easy to to feel like, okay, my kid's okay. They'll be fine. You know, they are intelligent. They are smart. And we've had that conversation, whether it's stranger danger or tricky people. And yet you're absolutely right. There are people out there who are experts in tricking our children. And it's not necessarily about our kids, but it's making sure they're armed so they see those signs. So yeah, love that point so much. Sometimes it's not about us and our kids. It's about what they're up against when we're not there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the Why Me Project. So I have to ask you, as you reflect on your life, were there any standout Why Me moments? And it could have been in a valley where things weren't going well or in a mountaintop in your life where you were just humbled that God chose you to be his mouthpiece. Yeah, I think I've experienced both of those for sure. Um, definitely when I was saying, why are you doing this, God, was when I was going through that with the church and um, with different people that I had relationships with. And it was so hard. And I remember being in a church service and I had to walk out it was on the book of Job. And, you know, the book of Job was about God letting Job go through absolute devastation and he loses everything. And he has some friends who are sharing their opinions about God that aren't true. They tell Job that God is being, or that God is punishing Job because he was sinning. And that's why these bad things are happening. In Job 32 through 37, his friend Elihu is comforting him and also confronting Job with a lot of truth about God. And in the previous chapters, God had been asking the question, or, sorry, Job had been asking the question like, God, why did you do this to me? Why would you let this happen? I was so good and I served you and I did all these things. And he was just absolutely drowning in his sorrows. And in Job 38, God addresses Job and says, Job, did you make the world? Like, were you here when I created the world? When I made the oceans, did you control the tide? Do you make the sun come up in the morning? And he's asking Job, like, who do you think you are that you can come to me? And I remember that being so comforting to me. And when I like could not even get out of bed in the morning, that's what I would read because it just brought me so much comfort. Like, I don't know everything. I'm not that guy. That's God. And he's in control. And also um, a chapter goes on and Job replies to God and says, 
I don't know anything. Like I'm, I can't believe that I was so blasphemous to you, God. Like, how could I ask these questions? And then God tells Job to make a sacrifice and pray for those friends that hadn't said true things about God. And then that's when God restores everything to Job. Again, that was just so comforting to me when I was broken and hurting. And I think what I've learned through that journey is that we think that sometimes everything's going to be restored in the same way. Like it was for Job. A lot of things were restored that kind of looked like his life before, but that's not always how it looks. And if God isn't restoring something in the same way as it was before, it's because he has something better for us and just remembering that God is the one who's in control and we are here to trust him. Yeah, and, and incredibly difficult topics, but uh, if we don't ask, we don't know. And if we don't know, we won't learn. So mm -hmm. uh, knowledge is definitely power. The real truth ministries.com at Carly Ray Cleveland on the Insta. Carly, we appreciate you taking some time and uh, sharing your heart and your ministry. Thank you so much for having me. It is topics that we need to talk about. And it's not necessarily do we have to talk about it each and every week, Holly, but it's things that, hey, we should have conversations with our kids. We should have conversations with our youth. We should have conversations with our church. Yeah. And not just one-sided conversations, but encourage dialogue, field questions, um, and teach all facets of it. I just always felt like growing up, it was on me. Yeah. You know, you're 12 and you're like, I have to guard my purity from all men. It was intense. And so I'm glad the conversations are now happening and that there are now way more resources and organizations like Carly is starting up to really help navigate the situations that people are finding themselves in. We should take time and go through some of the uh, the things that were, you know, your, your spaghetti straps couldn't be yes. more than two fingers. <laughs> Your skirt, <laughs> I'm thinking for the girls, couldn't be, you know, you know three fingers three, three higher. Fingers. Yeah. Yes. yeah. If it was any higher than this, like from your knee up, go home, change, yeah. put on your gym sweatpants. <laughs> Guys, weren't, you're, you're not allowed to hold hands or put your arm around a girl. You need to, you know, or yeah. the dancing. Yeah. What was it like? Uh, leave six inches, room for Jesus or something like that. I don't know. All of the different sayings. <laughs> leave room <laughs> for Jesus. <laughs> we we are growing, and as you had said, a conversation that needs to be had. And if we've learned anything over the last year and a half, two years, mm -hmm. is that a lot of times we can agree to disagree, but at least our, our points are being able to come across, and we'll have conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that Carly is doing what she's doing. I'm so glad she took time to hang out with us today and to share about her journey. All right. So now it's time for you to share about our podcast. You can download it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, SoundCloud. We want to grow the projectors like they've never been grown before. It's like a Chia <laughs> Pet projector. <laughs> Yes. So share. Also, when you check us out, wherever your podcast, don't forget to rate, uh, leave comments of, you know, the favorite things you've heard. Maybe some of those quotes that our guests have said that stood out to you. Now we said, uh, I said the other day, I said, give us a six star review. And I got a <laughs> message back from somebody who says, I'm sorry, I couldn't find six. So I only gave five. Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. Five is what we want. <laughs> exactly. And uh, don't forget, you can always check us out at uh, faithstrongtoday.com.